go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we're blown away by the love that you've had for us. You set your affection on us and even before the foundation of the world, you loved us. You sent your son to die for us, to pay the price for sin, to make a way of forgiveness and fellowship through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, even now, right in this moment, God, I pray if there are those this morning who do not know Jesus, that you would work even now in their lives to draw them to yourself. You would use your words, the words of the scripture today to to plead with their hearts and to beckon them into relationship with God so that they too may be able to say, along with the beloved Apostle John, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Thank you for the distinct honor and privilege of being called after your name. And God, I pray that as representatives of God on this earth, that you would help us paint an accurate picture, a faithful picture, especially in relationship to marriage. This morning, as we look at the roles of husbands towards their wives, God, I pray that you would help us as men to faithfully love our wives as Christ loved the church. May it sweetly beckon not only our wives to love Christ as we seek to love Christ, but may it beckon the world that watches to see the gospel for as it truly is. We pray that you would be honored and magnified through all that is done and said this morning. Do a work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thinking back to uh, being a freshman in college, I know that was several years ago now. Um, there was a book, I was on a ministry team, and there was a book that we were uh, required to read. It was called Encouragement by Larry Crabb. Now, the first time through that book, I, uh, I absolutely hated it. I said, this is, this is a piece of trash, man. Get rid of this book. And mainly because it confronted me with uh, some behaviors of my life that were really inconsistent and out of step with the Bible. And, and as, I, as I read it again as a sophomore in college, I really came to terms with the fact that, okay, this is really in line and consistent with the Scripture. Something I need to be understanding, not only as a, as a young man who is single, looking at the potential of being married someday, but... But, but now, looking back, recognizing the significance of the truths that I read in that book and, and still, unfortunately, being so out of step with God's word in, in terms of loving my wife the way that Christ loves the church. So, this morning, this is a message from a broken man to broken men. This is a, a message from uh, sometimes an unfaithful man to unfaithful men. But the call to us as men is the same and the strength, the promise that we have is that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the direction of what we see in the, in the Scripture, we can be the kind of men that God desires us 
to be. And we can allow the picture of marriage to, to exemplify Christ in a way that no other relationship can exemplify. That is the privilege that you have and I have as husbands to show Christ in a way that no other relationship on earth can show. Uh, Larry Crabb uses this example in his book, and I just wanted to, to read this this morning. I, I think it's helpful for us, especially as men, as we think about our ministry to our wives. He says this, As a youngster, I developed a thoroughly annoying and humiliating problem of stuttering. In the ninth grade, I was elected president of our junior high student body. During an assembly of the 7th, 8th, and ninth graders, several hundred students, I was beckoned by the principal to join him on the stage for the induction ceremony. Standing nervously in front of the squirming, bored crowd, I was told to repeat after the principal the words, I, Larry Crabb, of Plymouth Whitmarsh, uh, Whitmarsh Junior High School, do hereby promise. That's how the principal said it. My version was a little different. I, L L L L Larry Crabb of P P P P Plymouth Whitmarsh Junior High School, do P P P promise. The principal was sympathetically perplexed. My favorite English teacher wanted to cry. A few students laughed out loud. Most were awkwardly amused. Some felt bad for me and I died a thousand deaths. I decided right there and then public speaking was not for me. A short time later, our church celebrated the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning. It was customary in our congregation to encourage young men to enter into the privilege of worship by standing and praying aloud. That particular Sunday, I sensed the pressure of the saints, not, I fear, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I responded by unsteadily leaving my chair for the first time with the intention of praying. Filled less with worship than with nervousness, I found my theology becoming confused to the point of heresy. I remember thanking the Father for hanging on the cross and praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the Spirit from the grave. Stuttering throughout, I finally thought of the word, Amen. Perhaps the first evidence of the Spirit's leading. Set it and sat down. I recall staring at the floor, too embarrassed to look around, and solemnly vowing never again to pray or speak aloud in front of a group. Two strikes were enough. When the service was over, I darted towards the door, not wishing to encounter an elder who might be obliged to correct my twisted theology. But I was not quick enough an older Christian man named Jim, Jim Dunbar intercepted me, put his arm on my shoulder, and cleared his throat to speak. I remember thinking to myself, here it comes. Oh well, just endure it and then get to the car. I listened to this godly gentleman speak with words that I can repeat verbatim today more than 20 years later. Larry, he said, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you a thousand percent. Then he walked away. Those words were life words. They had power. They reached deep into my being. 
And as a result, my resolve never to speak again publicly weakened instantly. The power of words. I want you to know, men, this morning, especially you who are husbands today, I want you to recognize the the power of words, the power of words to speak life to your wife, to speak life to the women in your life, your your children. I want you to recognize that what we're going to talk about this morning in terms of behavior in conduct is always accompanied, in, in this case, as men, they're accompanied with words. Your ministry to your wife is a ministry of words. And so we're going to see this morning from our passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to the end of the chapter. Your ministry to your wife is a ministry of words to sanctify your wife with the washing of the water of the word. The words of life that come from the word of God as you represent the living word of God, Jesus, to your wife. It's a ministry of words. Speak words of life to your wife. And as you do that, you will understand the significance not only of speaking life into your relationship, but you will recognize the correlation between those life-giving words and and the sweetness of the the relationship that God has put you in with with your wife. Uh, The great and wise King Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 to 22. And, and you will see how, how, how sweetly these are complementary to one another. They're, 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 they fit together. It says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied the, by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Be a man of wisdom. Be a man of understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom will demonstrate itself in your commitment by speaking life words to your wife. By speaking God's words to your wife. Our passage this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. If you, have a, or if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, page 1015. It's important for you to see this for yourself. I, we, we want to lift up uh, the authority of the Scripture, the sufficiency of the Scripture, and to see it for yourself and, and to know these are not the words of, of Pastor Andrew this morning. These are the words of God. Thus says the Lord. That's what brings authority today, not not anything that I would tell you on my own. We're going to see this morning not only the power of words, but the power of your life to your wife. Are, Are you a man who is constructing or deconstructing? Are you a man who is creating or destroying? Are you a man who is nurturing or poisoning? You have the power of life to give to your life your relationship as you embrace a commitment to do what we're going to see this morning in our passage. It says this, it says, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter gives husbands one verse. <laughs> now, we've just, last week, we, we saw that Peter gave wives six verses. And, and it, but if we, were, if we were to go to Ephesians chapter 5, we would see that the Apostle Paul gives wives three verses, and then he kind of switches the order and gives husbands nine verses. I just find it very interesting that for whatever reason, the single guy gives husbands more time, but the married guy gives husbands just a verse to focus on. I think the married guy understands that as men, we need it simple. We need, it. we need to put it right down, down there on, on the bottom shelf. We need to make it as accessible as possible. Let's keep it to a verse so that we can get the, the essence of what God is calling us to do. So it's going to be my effort this morning to try to keep this simple. And Peter is beckoning men. He's beckoning, beckoning you to be a man of understanding. Be a man of wisdom. Be a man of understanding. And so we're going to find that show up in two ways, okay? And so this is going to be as, as simple as we can make it. We're going to see two participles, two commands in this verse that are going to point to the, the objectives that, that God has given to men. And the first is live with understanding, and the second is give with understanding. We'll find that in our verse today. We'll take them one at a time and try to unpack that as we move our way through. Live with understanding and give with understanding. You think we can remember that? And as simple as those concepts might be, they are deeply penetrated. And impossible, by the way, to do without the help of the Holy Spirit. Live with understanding. Now, there are some things we need to understand in order to live with understanding. And he begins here at the very outset of this verse. He says, likewise, husbands. Likewise, husbands. Now, as we've been working our way through this letter, I've been trying to help you understand that, that, the, that the use of words in our, in our Bibles are not coincidental. The use of words in our Bible act as helpers to provide a level of understanding so we can press in and really know what God wants us to know through his word. And, and we see this word likewise, and, and you, should, you should think, okay, it, it means that I gotta back up and I gotta figure out how this fits in my, in my universe, okay? So we, we, we back up to chapter two, verse 13, and we see this instruction to, to those who are citizens, it says, to be subject to those who are in authority over you. And then we drop down to chapter 2, verse 18, and we see this instruction of slaves to be subject to their masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, we see this word likewise happening again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, the difficulty with this is what has been common in those first three directives has been be subject. But what we don't find in this verse is that directive. We don't find be subject. 
So, so there must be something else, okay? Well, so if, if, if it's not about being subject, then what else is common to those other sections of Scripture? Well, there was injustice, there was suffering, there was hardship, there was difficulty in those first three examples. But as we look at verse 7, there is no suffering, there is no difficulty, there is no hardship, at least that is spoken there in this verse. So there must be something else to identify. And this is where chapter divisions become difficult for us. And we need to understand that the Greek didn't have originally chapter divisions. And so we, we need to see this word likewise and, and understand it as a, as a signpost that begins to direct our attention to something is happening here, pay attention. That first use of the word likewise is found in chapter 3, verse 1, which points back to the immediate context of Jesus. And so I want you to understand, if you're going to live with understanding, you're going to live with recognizing, understanding your Savior. Understand your Savior. You cannot be the husband that God has called you to be unless you know your Savior. It's impossible. You can't carry out the directives that God has called you to as a man unless you know your Savior. But we see this connection that he creates in, in, in verses 21 to 24 of chapter 2 where Peter begins to, to help us understand what is built into the Christian life, what is part of our calling, what are we called to, what, are we, what, what is the purpose of our salvation. We see this in chapter 2, verse 21, for to this you have been called, what is it? Because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So submission is a way for us to step into the flow of, of Christ's pattern. Enduring suffering is a way for us to step in and walk in the steps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But in this case, the example of Jesus takes a, a little different picture. But we have to know the Savior before we can know how to love and lead our wives in a way that's appropriate. And in order to know your mission, you must know your Savior. Men, do you know your Savior? Are, are you actively pursuing this intimate knowledge of God? A relationship with God that, that doesn't just look back to, to things that happened days or weeks or months ago, but, but it is this active, consistent, perpetual knowing, understanding, loving, seeking, pursuing, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Man, if you're going to be the kind of husband that God has called you to, do, to be, Young, single men, if you're going to be the, the future husband that God has called you to be, don't wait. <laughs> Start now. Be the man that is ready to, to have that woman that, that God would desire to place into your life by, by actively understanding, knowing, and pursuing your Savior. Know Him. Because your role as a husband is dependent upon knowing your Savior. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 28 says as much. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water by the word. Notice again, this is the ministry of life, the ministry of words, the ministry of the word of God to your wife to, to, to help fashion her and, and, and to sanctify her, purify her in a way that is holy and blameless. That's what we, that's what we get to. So that, she, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies He who loves his wife loves himself. You realize the power that you have as men to speak life into your home and and to be an instrument of God to to help your wife be the kind of woman that that is holy and pure before God? What kind of relationship do you think that will, that will create, that will produce? You have a holy wife and a husband that is, that is pursuing a holy God. What sort, of, what sort of features or characteristics do you think would be true of that kind of relationship? And, and, and notice, it doesn't happen by force. Notice it doesn't happen by brute strength. It doesn't happen by by forcing your way or by exerting authority. It doesn't happen by, by you setting the limits and, and, and demanding that you're followed. It happens as you actively and willingly sacrifice yourself like Christ for your wife to love her in a way that lays down for the sake of your bride. Just like Jesus so that, so that your life should look like his life in that he gave it all for the sake of love to the Father. You give it all. You sacrifice it all. You lay it all down for the sake of love for your wife and, and, and calling her to love for God as well. But it, but it will never happen if the ministry of the word and understanding your Savior isn't happening for you first because then you have nothing to offer. You have no word to share. Are you faithfully submitting to God? Are you consistently understanding your objective? By loving and sanctifying and cleansing and washing your wife. You can do that as you understand your Savior. But, but in addition to understanding your Savior, you must also understand your wife. And I, I appreciate this. And, and maybe you do as well because as as men, there is, I think, built into us a love for discovery, uh, maybe a love for pioneering. I think that's why when we tend to navigate, we're, we're, we're always accused of, of wanting to find our own way and do it in, without, the, without the Google Maps helper. We don't want to ask for directions. We just want to go for it, right? That's kind of the, the pioneering spirit in us. And, and God has put the opportunity for pioneering right next to us in our wife. Know your wife. Take advantage of the opportunity of learning and discovering who she is. This word to live is, is as I said, a, a present active participle. It, 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 it is to help you understand this is an ongoing journey. This, this never ends to the day you die. There, there's always new things to learn. This word is only used here in the New Testament. It's a compound word with and living in the house. It, 
It, it implies that there is a dwelling together that is happening. There is existing in the same space, this, this consistent rhythm day after day of, of occupying and sharing life together, not just sharing space. How many relationships do you know about where there are just two roommates in the same house and there's really no relationship taking place? That is not what Peter is talking about here. That's not what he's commending. He's commending doing life together, living together. There's this understanding, which really is with knowledge. Study her, know her. Make it your daily assignment to, to recognize and appreciate the complexities and the value that she brings. She is God's gift to you. And this is a, a big deal because it is completely uh, antithetical to what we would consider uh, true leadership, human leadership to be. Because this is leading through understanding. This is leading through sensitivity. It's leading through tenderness, leading through humility, leading through service. And that is not what our world thinks about when they think about leadership. And men, let's be honest. This may be one of the hardest things that God has called you to do. Not only because your wife is more complex than you, but also because of the selfishness that we bring to the table. We tend to be quite indifferent to valuing and cherishing our wife because we're much more interested in valuing and cherishing me. This is not the objective that God has set before you. We are told to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're told to, to lay down preferences for the sake of knowing and loving the, women that, the woman that he has put in relationship with us. So, don't despise her emotion. Don't run over her sensitivity, but let it temper you. Let it grow you. Be willing to listen to her when you've been a little firm or a little too short or a little too abrupt. Be willing to learn lessons. She has much to add to your life in terms of sanctification <laughs> when her sensitivity will help to temper the kind of responses you might naturally have as a, as a man. And know the things that make her feel valued. Don't just think you can buy her off, but come home to serve. Be willing to walk in her steps. Be willing to share her life. Be, be willing to support her in her endeavors. Be, be willing to, to come home in, after a very long day where things have gone very badly for you and to step into that, that, uh, that home with, with a posture of serving just like Christ served who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the picture that men we're called to give. So you need to live with understanding. You also need to give with understanding. Give with understanding. And we, we come now into the second half of this verse where it says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now that may be a little... That may be a little uh, inappropriate 
from a cultural standpoint to talk about women this way. But the, the truth is that, that God has designed men and women with, with, uh, with inadequacies, with, with things that, that, that we need that complement one another, right? That's why at the very beginning in the garden, God gave Adam a helpmate because he knew he needed help. That's what makes relationships work. So Peter's just stating the obvious. There, there is a need of your wife for something that you have to offer and there is strength that you can give that she needs from you. So be willing to understand her vulnerability. Give with understanding and, and you do this by understanding her vulnerability. This word showing, again, is, is only used this time in the New Testament and it's, it's to respect, it's to treat, it's to cause this word honor is the word for status or value or worth. And, and we find it three times in 1 Peter. Um, maybe surprisingly, it's in chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, and now here in chapter 3, verse 7. And our showing of honor to our wives points to Jesus. No surprise. Who bestows honor on those who are faithful to walk in his steps. Chapter 1, verse 7 says about those who are tested in their, in their faith, says that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You exemplify the testimony of Christ, the example of Christ in showing honor to your wife understand her vulnerability. I think there's at least two ways that we can do this as men. And I want to just draw these out and we'll move, we'll move on. There's two ways that we as men can recognize vulnerability, understand vulnerability, and seek to, to support and encourage our wives in the midst of vulnerability. First is, don't place on your wife the burden that you were meant to carry. Don't place on your wife the burden that you were meant to carry. Oh, it is so easy because our wives tend to be so much more proactive, so much more strategic, so much more on it when it comes to our families, and it's so easy for us to defer that responsibility because they're doing such a good job. And, and it doesn't mean they can't do these things, but it means that we don't depend on it as men. We don't pass the buck. We don't shirk our responsibility. Here's some examples. Don't shirk your responsibility when it comes to spiritual things. We just read the verse in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Certainly, wives are, are pouring in and investing in their relationship with God personally, but, but as men, we're given that responsibility too to, to sanctify our wives with the washing of the water by the word. Don't just depend on your wives doing this for themselves. They need to do that, but as husbands, you have the responsibility of leading spiritually. And then especially when it comes to leadership in the home of your children, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, husbands, that's your job. 
don't abandon your responsibility. Don't defer to your wife who may be much more spiritually aware than you are. Use that as an opportunity to to drive you to the responsibility that God has called you to. And in matters of of financial commitments, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Husbands, don't put your wife in a position that she has to work in order for the family to stay afloat. Free your wife up for the joy of loving and caring for her home. That's her God-given responsibility. Not that she can't ever work outside the home, not that she can't ever uh, contribute financially to the, to the house, but, but don't put her in a position where, where life demands it. Be the man in the relationship and, and take the burden of responsibility of providing. Otherwise, you may actually show that you're worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty, that's a pretty direct uh, rebuke. Finally, when it comes to correctional matters or disciplinary issues within the home. Recognize that as dads, you are the primary disciplinarian in the home. You are the one who is meant to bring correction. We can see this example in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 to 10. It's kind of a long passage. You're familiar with this. It says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that his father does not discipline? And the passage continues to talk about the significance of your role as dad to be the correctional disciplinarian in your home. Don't defer to your wife to take that responsibility. There are many more that we could talk about. At the end of the day, don't defer your responsibility. Recognize her vulnerability and step up and be the man that God has called you to be. Next is, the second example is preserve your wife from fear. Preserve your wife from fear. And and I know that fear is an issue because Peter addresses that at the end of verse 6 when he's talking to wives. He says they don't have to be frightened with any fear, meaning that is their natural tendency, but as they trust in the Lord, they don't have to walk in fear. And as men, we have a responsibility to make sure as much as possible for us, we protect and preserve and defend our wives from having to face fear. There are several examples that we could give, but, but, but the most immediate example that I can think of is, as it talks about Abraham and Sarah at the first six verses of chapter three, we know that Abraham, he... He didn't really do a very good job in terms of preserving his wife from fear. There were at least two occasions, one in Genesis chapter 12 and one in Genesis chapter 20, where Abraham was fearful and then put his wife in harm's way. Remember that? He said, hey, I know you're good looking, but uh, I don't want to get in trouble by Abimelech or by Pharaoh, so why don't you just tell everyone you're my sister? So they saw this really beautiful 90-year-old lady. That's quite remarkable. 
They said, hey, you're going to be in my harem. And what did Sarah do? Sarah, without a word, submitted to her husband, subjected herself to fear because she was not afraid with any fear. She trusted the covenant-keeping God who had made a promise to her. And God was faithful. God preserved in spite of disobedient Abraham who threw his wife under the bus and subjected her to reckless fear. Don't do that to your wife. And don't give your wife any reason to doubt your loyalty to her. Don't put your wife in harm's way. (laughs) You hear the noise while you're in bed and you wonder what's downstairs and you say, well, I took a turn last night. Tonight it's your turn. Now, maybe she's much more capable than you in terms of uh, karate or grappling, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Be the man. Have the attitude that says, no one's going to lay a finger on my wife. No harm will come to her if I have anything to say about it. Understand her vulnerability, but also understand her destiny. Understand her destiny. Hmm. This is really where it becomes amazing. You come to grips with the fact of who you spend your days with, and you're going to begin to treat her differently. Because look at this, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, which means God has purchased her. There is a shared inheritance that you will have with her. She is a co-heir with Christ, just like you. She is part of that chosen generation, part of that royal priesthood, part of that holy nation, part of God's chosen people. That's her. Treat her as special because God has set his affection on her and he has paid with her with precious blood. Treat her the way that God has treated her by calling her to himself. Recognize that she has the same inheritance as you. She will enjoy the same benefits as you in eternity. Peter directly addresses this general Greco-Roman attitude of the inferiority of of women in the first century by pointing out the female also is a co-heir of grace and therefore not excluded from the same privileges of grace enjoyed by the male. But there is a construction in the Greek that, that would allow for the possibility that this woman is actually not a believer. Because, because really, the, the construction is, is the fact that, that you would treat her this way whether or not she's a believer. And so in a similar respect, just like we saw in, in the first six verses where the woman without a word seeks to win her husband without a word, because she's depending upon the sovereignty of God, this this husband is doing the same thing. That through his conduct, through his love, through his devotion to his wife and seeking to understand and encourage her, 
He is treating her like an heir. He is shining day by day this, this gospel picture so that he can expose her to what Jesus looks like and woo her to himself and woo her to the gospel. Show her Christ. Show her the suffering, consistent, faithful, loving, initiative-taking God. That we love him because he first loved us. Be that for your wife. Love her that way. Maybe we could say in the first 21st century that we've arrived in terms of recognizing the dignity and value that women have. We affirm their dignity. We understand and recognize their value. But, but I want you to, to recognize that this, this word here in, in the Greek is, is a word that is all together. Heirs together is one word. And, and where they got it right in terms of dependence upon that relationship, we often get wrong because we think about independence rather than dependence. You are not heirs separately. You are heirs together. And that's the operative word for us this morning. How much of your marriage is separate? How much do you come together to church, you drive together at various places, but your interactions from day to day can't be described as anything but togetherness, but separateness. You each have your own Bible reading plans. You each have your own prayer times. There's never any coming together that happens, and that's what God calls us to. What are the barriers? Well, for many of us, she knows more about the Bible than we do. For many of us, she's more consistent in prayer. She's more in tune with God. And then there's the vulnerability that comes when we try to pray together because it begins to expose the inadequacies we, we feel but we never want to share. And, and so we, we don't go there in prayer with our wives because we're too afraid that she'll discover, by the way, what she already knows. We just don't want to admit. We don't want to admit our failure. We don't want to look weak. We struggle with our image everywhere else. We don't want to struggle with our image in our home. And so we avoid the issue altogether. And, and wives, can I just speak a, a word of encouragement? You can help your husband by saying yes when he tries to take initiative in spiritual things. You can encourage your husband by affirming his small steps, however inadequate or incomplete they might be. You can encourage your husband by letting him take the lead, by praying for him, and finding strength from God and bringing it to your relationship rather than criticizing him and putting down his failures that he is so familiar with. And here is the motivation, and I'll just close with this. It, the, the end of the verse says this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. <laughs> you know, living right helps you pray right. Living right helps you pray right. When, you, when you're living this way, 
then you're going to be praying in a way that's consistent and in, and in line with what you know God wants to do for your family and, and you recognize that, that you need help because whatever strength you're supposed to be providing for this relationship, there is just this constant barrage of weakness that you're confronted with and, and you know you need to depend upon the strength that comes from God. And I think it's also true that, that when you know things are broken in your relationship and then, then you begin to pray, like I have done so many times, and when I know that things are out of step in my relationship and I'm not treating my, life, my wife like the weak, weaker vessel, I'm not honoring her as God has called me to honor, then as soon as I begin that prayer, then the Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, don't bother going any further, Andrew, because you got some business to do. You got some work to take care of. Are you men of prayer? Are you men who are committed to looking to God for help so that you can breathe life into your home? May God help us to be those kinds of men. And what might our families look like? What might our communities look like as God is using us to speak life into our marriage, into our children, helping to prepare them for, for, what, for what God wants for them and, and sanctifying them just the way we're called to sanctify them. What might God accomplish for your home and for Maranatha if we as men are men who commit ourselves to this kind of leadership? Leadership that, that pictures the sweetness in the brilliance, and the majesty of the gospel. So when people see our marriage, they think, they've been with Jesus. I think I might want to know more about that. Let's pray. Lord, it's clear that there's a lot of work to do. And as simple as the instruction has been to live in understanding and to give with understanding, we recognize we are so out of step with where we really should be. So encourage us, Lord, not to give up, not to lose hope. Encourage us that we can have the strength that comes from you to, to be the kinds of husbands and the kinds of men you've called us to be. And may the beauty and majesty of the gospel blaze from our homes when we begin to embrace this gospel picture. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you.